0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club, two fans, 73 movies, one cage. Today's movie is Guarding Tess from 1994. I'm Joey Lewandowski.
1: And I'm Mike Manzi.
0: And this movie is billed as a comedy and sort of shot, at least in the beginning, like a comedy. But it's pretty heavy, not very funny. And then there's like a huge, huge tonal shift toward the end where things get really serious in a hurry.
1: Yeah, it felt very lighthearted throughout most of the film. It's definitely marketed as a comedy, at least I think so. You know, I was expecting to have a bunch of laughs. We're sort of around the time where Cage has made two comedies, three comedies by now, so this looked like a much lighter affair, especially coming down from Deadfall last week.
0: Yeah, but it turns out that it's not really that at all. I mean, the quote-unquote comedy comes from this old woman basically just nagging Nick Cage for most of the movie. Nick Cage plays a Secret Service agent named Doug Chesnick, and he's tasked in Summersville, Ohio, I believe, to guard a former first lady. He loves his job, but he wants to get back in the action. Being stationed in Summersville, Ohio, (laughs) living with an old lady and not having any danger is not the ideal job that he wants to have.
1: When the movie starts, he's been doing this for three years now, and we pick up on his last day of work, and he goes back to Washington for reassignment, and he's assigned right back to the first lady again she actually requests that he come and guard her for another term of service
0: not only does she request it but the president of the united states requests it because he was a vice president to this woman's husband and so he owes her a lot he feels like he like if basically she's part of his family and he wants her to be happy and wants to make sure that everything that she's doing everything you know in her life is exactly as she wants and if she wants Nick Cage to be her secret service agent he's going to be the one that's tasked to guard her again for another tour. Yeah,
1: and you can't refuse the president of the United States, especially a guy in his position, so he sort of reluctantly hangs his head and, and heads back. This is sort of where we meet like the like little crew that works for the First Lady, right? She has like a little house full of people that are all the other characters in the movie, you know, sort of peppered throughout the house.
0: Yeah, she has her driver, she has her chef, she's got a couple other Secret Service agents... She's got a couple other sort of general help guys. I mean, the big ones, the ones that sort of have meaty parts, are the driver, played by Austin Pendleton. And the chef, who's played by the actor, I don't remember the actor's name, but played by the guy who plays uh, Vernon Dursley, uh, Harry Potter's uncle, in the Harry Potter movies. There's a whole bunch of people around the house. It's this one woman, Tess Carlisle, and a bunch of guys just sort of taking care of her. And at the start of the movie, she just like never leaves her room. She never comes downstairs. She's sort of trapped in this life of just nothing and just sort of boring monotony, and you can tell why Cage wants to get out of there.
1: She's basically a shut-in. She hasn't really left her bedroom for a long time, and, you know, her husband, she's a widow, so her husband has passed and, you know, assumed for a while now. You know, we don't really know. She's she's sort of aloof at the start of this, and when Cage comes back, she kind of... Starts coming out of her shell a little bit, and lo and behold, we have a connection here. She wants to go to the opera.
0: She wants to go to the opera, and I sort of freaked out a little bit when we got to the opera connection. It's twice now. I mean, it's, it's both Moonstruck-related, but we saw the opera was a huge part in Moonstruck, and then we saw that theme played again in Saturday Night Live, But the opera is a huge part of Cage's career, and they go back to the opera in this movie.
1: But unlike his character in Moonstruck, Doug hates the opera. or Does not like the opera. has no, yeah, just doesn't care for it whatsoever and he is just he's really upset and angry and tense about this detail you know and he's sort of letting everybody know it right like he's pretty vocal and kind of speaking out i don't know almost wants to get kicked off this duty
0: like the worst thing i guess in his mind is that he pisses everybody off enough that she's like all right you know what just go back to washington i'm done here he kind of explodes he's really tired of just being a guy who carries food up and down the stairs to her and he lets her know that you know he's a secret service agent He's not just a waiter. What does she
1: want? Chocolate? Some
0: kind of of goddamn
2: fruit drink or something? What do we look like, waiters? Are we a bunch of waiters? We want to be down there!
1: (laughs) Everyone's sort of feeling the stress of this lady, but Cage is the only one that's really letting it get to him. Uh, Everyone else is sort of writing her off as just eccentric and sort of changes her mind all the time. You know, one day she wants to go to the opera, the next day she wants to go play golf. She doesn't care that it's 30 degrees out and drags everybody out to the golf course. And Cage is trying to look you know, I love it because i'm glad he's playing a secret service agent i just wish he was playing one in the field somewhere else but he's had such attention on the golf course you know because there's so many potential threats he's basically reduced to being a caddy and and that's just not what he signed up for
2: would you be kind enough to get my first ball please Doug? i'm a secret service agent mrs carlisle not a caddy you want that ball i suggest you go get it yourself Since you've insisted on me staying here, I think you should know I intend to do my job by the book. Which means we don't run errands, we don't make snacks, and we don't check our guns at the door. Now, if you don't like any of this, I suggest you call Washington and get yourself a new man.
0: That's not what he signed up for at all. And I think that's sort of the whole point of the movie, right? That he's, like, we want to see him, he wants to be in this other role, we want to see him with more action... And we're sort of forced to live through the boredom, the same boredom that he has, just because he's living this life and doing this tour of duty that he calls, quote, the worst assignment in the service. He doesn't want to be there. We don't want to see him there, but we're all stuck in the same situation.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting how important this detail actually Becomes, you know, the one thing that I think the movie does pretty well is it makes this detail seem very mundane and unnecessary, right? Like, what does she even need Secret Service for? But she's a former First Lady and a very recent former first lady so of course she may be a potential target or something of that nature but the movie does do a good job of having the audience or at least me saying yeah she doesn't really need all this protection
0: but you, you see like when they go to the opera like she's like a, she's a big deal yes, you know what i mean like right. people see her falling asleep at the opera and they're more intent on watching that than watching the show when she's leaving the opera there's a huge crowd that knows she's there and just waiting for her to leave Like, she doesn't really need a Secret Service detail, but it's also, she's a level of notoriety or a level of celebrity or a level of fame that's too much just for a 60- or 65-year-old woman to handle on her own without some kind of security detail.
1: Yes, and there's a nice moment at the opera, too. There's a large crowd of people that they have to move through, and the Secret Service actually gets to go into sort of battle mode where they're being, you know, real Secret Service, and Nick Cage... You know, sort of sees this lady reach into her purse, and he cuts her right off and grabs her hand, and she was only reaching for a pen, and he sort of diffused that little situation. And I think the joke is, you know, no one's going to hurt this little old lady. You still get to see he's on his game, he's on point.
0: He's very competent at what he does, which makes it all the more frustrating that he's not able to do anything And eventually, toward the end of the movie, when the sort of the big twist happens and the things start to fall into place, he actually does sort of get to exhibit the full range of Cage as Secret Service agent. But for the first, like, hour of the movie, he's really effectively neutered.
1: Yeah, he's always trying to tell the First Lady, this is the protocol, you know, you can't sit behind the driver, you gotta sit behind the passenger, or, you know, have to leave at this. Like, he's sort of trying to keep her on schedule, and she is just wants to live her life, you know, live the last days of her life the way she wants to. They're clashing in these early moments, too, right? And it makes me wonder, why does she want him back so bad if she doesn't necessarily like this guy very much or knows that he's going to bring this tension.
0: She's just comfortable with him. She doesn't want to have to go about everything. She's set in her ways. I think that she knows and I think they might even have conversations about it in the movie, but she knows that this isn't the job that he wants to do, but she doesn't want to have to train a whole new staff. She doesn't know who she's going to get assigned. She knows him, she likes him. She wants her life the way she wants it and doesn't really care what that means to other people.
1: We also kind of see through some home movies later. Well, not necessarily home movies, but she likes to watch old news reports and things of that nature. And Nick Cage's character pops up in those videos, so he may have been on her husband's secret service detail at some point you know just one of many and then got assigned to her so there could be that sentimental connection and definitely by the end of the film feelings come to light right like there's more there's definitely a bond that's forged by the end
0: Yeah, i mean the real telling home video that we see is they she's watching the huge funeral for her dead former president husband and they cut the cage in the audience he's crying like he's really broken up that he was, like you're saying, probably really close, probably on the security detail with her husband. He's kind of like a relic of her husband. Like, with him, she can sort of remember her husband, maybe. But even though she loves him, and, like, I think he understands why he means so much to her, Cage does not care, and they go to a diner, I think it's sort of the whole Secret Service team, you know, I guess after she's settled in for bed or whatever at night. He's just, like, bitching to them about how he's not a golf caddy, he's a Secret Service agent, and all this different stuff. And then there's a call from the President of the United States, and he wants to speak to Cage. Hello?
2: Uh, uh, hello. Hey, you Doug. Uh, yes, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, and you? Well, I got, uh, I got this call from Tess Carlisle, and, um... I know this sounds a little crazy, but did did you tear up some flowers of hers, Doug? You there? Uh huh. Yes, sir. Something about uh, a bunch of roses. Well, uh, no, 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 no. It it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a bunch, sir. Uh huh. Well, how many of them were there? Just one, sir. I see. And uh, and you tore it up, did you? No, sir. I didn't tear it up. Well, what'd you do? I merely removed the bud from her flower yes sir okay well let's get past that for a second uh as you know i was her husband's vice president yes sir and frankly i owe a lot to the carlisle she seconded my nomination i think you know that too yes sir so uh why don't we all try to get along a little better over there in ohio doug what do you say yes sir absolutely i don't get it myself one day she calls me says she can't live without you next day she's calling almost in tears so, you know, maybe you two have some kind of sicko thing going on. No, 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 sir. No, sir. I can tell but you I'll that... I'll tell you this, Doug. Any more phone calls from her, and you're going to be guarding my dog. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Because I probably got the most important job in the
1: world. Yes, sir.
2: And I feel like a goddamn idiot having to call you about a goddamn flower. You know what I mean, Doug? Yes, sir. I do. I certainly do. So what do you say? Are you going to help me out on this one? You... Yes, you can count on it, sir. Thanks, Doug. That's what I wanted to hear. You have yourself a nice evening, son. Yes, sir. Night.
1: I mean, this is obviously one of the funnier moments of the movie. I like the way it played too. I'm, I'm finding myself. A little surprised with myself while talking about this movie because i didn't have this much fun watching it but i'm having fun talking about it but he's in the bar sitting there and, and he gets a phone call and it's the president of the united states and it's just like so shocking and it instantly carries a lot of weight because he's calling this guy in the in a diner in the middle of nowhere yeah. you know and he's the president of the united states so you got to figure like he's in the middle of defusing a crisis here or there
0: he has more important things to do Not much
1: and, and he's basically like. Like, you know, I got a call from Tess. What's the problem? Like, she's not happy. You know, I thought I could count on you. And, you know, that's when I was like, yeah, man, I hope you start to realize, like, it it might seem like a cushy job, but this is like some super serious detail, you know, or at least people are counting on you. It's not a job for just anybody. You're there for a reason.
0: Now, did you know or did you read up who the president of the united states is in this movie
1: i tried to guess just by listening and when i couldn't figure it out i wanted to wait for the podcast because i kind of figured you'd have the trivia on this
0: it's not super exciting but it's kind of cool it is the writer and director of the movie hugh wilson plays the president it's really the most excitement because the president is really energetic and really emphatic driving point home to cage that like you need to take care of the situation like it's not just a low-stakes situation Like, this is still an important job, even if you don't think that. It's like this burst of life into this otherwise sort of boring movie. You're trying to figure out who it is and just the the writer-director, which I thought was kind of a cool little touch.
1: It's pretty funny that it's the writer-director because he's driving across the tone that he wants the movie to be. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like this president character comes into the movie to sort of propel these situations that are just lagging or when the movie needs a kick in the ass a little bit to propel it forward a, a bit more. Just that it's the director, it's funny. Yeah, because he's he's getting across the tone that I expect the rest of this movie to follow and it kind of doesn't.
0: What I kind of like is that he knows when the movie needs a little bit of a boost and that's like when he inserts himself into the movie. Like he can sort of sense that people are getting lulled into a little bit of a boredom and so they have the president call and he just gives this whole burst of life back into the movie. One other bit of trivia for this movie and it's not something you can really guess. Did you know that George Clooney apparently auditioned for one part in this movie, for a single line in this movie.
1: Hmm, I'm trying to think of where that could... Do you know the role or the line or anything like that because i'm trying to think now where that could have been inserted maybe he played a news reporter and they cut to him on television when the crisis happens later on
0: i don't know i didn't they didn't have any more information about it it's just that he auditioned i don't even think they said he got the part i don't know why at this point in his career george clooney's auditioning for anything it would have been funny if like the president was clooney you know what i mean like he's just like this huge star so by 94 clooney had done er he'd done the facts of life He'd been on Baby Talk and Roseanne and Bodies of Evidence and Sisters. He was about to do From Dust Till Dawn, so maybe he was just like an up-and-coming or a really big TV actor?
1: Uh, I'd want it to be the helicopter pilot at the end that that says that Doug needs to get on, <laughs> that, that the First Lady's calling for him.
0: Maybe in that, in that end scene when they like keep... Like, there's, like, a, tele- a game of telephone when they're, like, saying his name. Maybe one of those guys is just going to be Clooney. <laughs> that would have been awesome. The first real sort of big thing that happens in this movie, aside from them going to the opera, is that they go out for a ride, and I, I don't think it's coming back from the opera, but it might be. Tess convinces her driver, apparently, like, she's done several times before, to just leave Cage behind. Like, they take two cars wherever they go, and it's Cage and the driver and Tess and one and everybody else in the other car. And they stop for gas or whatever. Tess convinces the driver just to take off and leave Cage behind. And they they always, like, lose Tess. There's a sort of sense of irony that she forces Cage to stay in Ohio with her. Yet, all the time, she's trying to escape him and leave him behind.
1: Yeah, I wish they set this up a couple more times because it's supposed to pay off a bit later on. But you're right. She keeps playing, like, this cat and mouse game with him that has me wondering, is she sick in the head? Like, does she mean to be doing these kinds of things? There's a throwaway line about how she she might be sick. Later on, she gets a CAT scan or an MRI, but still, even then, there's nothing conclusive about her health. But this part where she takes off with the driver is i thought it was just supposed to be haha like they're the worst secret service detail they need local police to help do their job
0: and i agree with you that they should have set it up a little bit more and the only way that you really learn that this happens a lot is that they call the cops and like oh you lost her again like they, they they say that it's happened it seems like a bunch of times but they only show it once in the movie until the very end and we'll get to this later but when she actually gets kidnapped in a real weird tonal shift through this exact same way, that it would have been funny to see it happen at least maybe just one more time. But the fact that they do it once and then the second time is the big one is a little bit jarring a little bit weird
1: right they should follow the rule of three you know yeah (laughs) this this almost just felt like a setup for what would be a speakerphone joke you know basically he calls the cops and he's like i'm not on speakerphone am i and sure enough all the cops listened in and and heard the embarrassing phone call that doug had to make right so it's basically just a setup for that joke later on it becomes a very pivotal callback
0: and and this like joke that Tess is playing on him, like, infuriates Cage, and he, when everybody's back at the house, he erupts in a a classic Cage eruption, fires the driver, who who apparently has been fired several times before, that Tess promises him, hey, leave him behind, I'll make sure you don't get fired, and he just has this huge eruption that he can't deal with this anymore.
2: Hey, hey, hey! Blue, you know that? No, no, I don't know that. You I, don't know that? I know, no, I don't know that. Why don't you I, know that? God, little town, come on. Because she assured me that I was not going to be fired, and in fact, I would have been fired if I had, if I hadn't done it. Look, look, you look. You guys come and go, but I live here, and I keep my job because of her. I'll get, you, you, you think you think I don't try to talk her out of these crazy things? But I got no choice. Well, you're fired, fire girl, trust
1: me. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what the story was here because he was allowed to fire the driver but not the chef or the gardener or those people because they work for Tess she hired those people but the driver works for the secret service so he's got the authority i don't know why they went into all that i mean because he's not allowed to fire the driver in the end anyway
0: right he sticks around
1: yeah he sticks around i think they needed to set up sort of sides here right that tess has people on her side and i don't know we're definitely meant to feel empathy for this driver because they're setting him up for later too
0: this whole incident you know firing. The driver, getting angry at Tess for leaving him behind, sort of blowing up at her again, precipitates the next call from the president that Cage answers the phone, I guess when he's in his house, he's he's on the toilet, and he's he's just, it's just such a funny visual to see him on the toilet, talking to the president of the United States about how bad of a job he's doing. Yes, sir.
2: How are you? I'm fine, sir. How are you? Well, I'm not too good. I'm on my way to London. I'm supposed to be working on a speech for the common market. Instead, I'm having a goddamn test Carlisle problem. What the hell's that about, Doug? I, it's, I'm... Do you know that as of this morning, she has refused Secret Service protection? Where the hell did she get an idea like that? I... This woman is a national treasure. Maybe you and I know what a pain in the butt she is, but we don't count us what the goddamn voters think. That's what counts, and they want this woman looked after. You understand me? Yes, sir. What if some lunatic breaks into her house and cuts her goddamn throat? What about that? Well, I agree, sir. I... Doodoo, do you think I'd catch if something like that happened on my watch? Yes, sir. So let me make it real clear. Get over to her house and straighten this out. I'm counting on you and so's the country. You hear me? Yes, sir. I'll get on it right away. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. Thanks a lot, buddy. Hey, the next time you're in town, I want you to come over to the White House and have dinner with us, something like that. Yes, sir. I'd be honored. I'll be there. Thank you. All right. Have a
1: nice day, pal. Yes, sir, I will. Here we go again with the director coming into his movie, trying to remind us about what kind of movie it's supposed to be. This is a great visual with some great audio to go with it you got Cage in his underwear on the toilet talking to the president of the United States you know he's, he's caught with his pants down literally yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah it's just like I just this is sort of the last charming moment of the film or, or this is sort of the last moment I'll give the movie this is the, the last big funny moment it gives me
0: yeah this is really like the when the movie stops being a comedy if it ever was a comedy to begin with like what's so crazy is that like nobody wants to be bad at their job but like when cage is bad at his job his boss is the president he has to deal like the most awkward and like embarrassing phone call that anybody could ever get but the president has to take time out of his schedule he's supposed to be flying somewhere to some summit or dealing with some crisis and instead he's calling because his family friend tess carlisle isn't happy with her secret service agent it's so dehumanizing and so humiliating that makes it extra funny
1: now that the secret service is sort of fired Tess ditches the secret service for good you know doesn't need them by law so decides not to have them doug and the secret service people basically decide to watch her anyway right they watch her on their own and sort of stake out her house
0: they leave her house and the president says hey you got to get back in there but they she locks them out right she like closes the gate on them yeah and all he wants to do is talk to her but she's not letting them in, and it's just, like, this little bit of conflict. But, like, what's also kind of more interesting in a similar but not exactly same kind of situation is that this is when Tess's son shows up. Yes. And I don't really understand what the purpose of him being in this movie is unless they're setting him up that he's possibly the one who kidnaps her later. But it's just weird that he shows up as this, like, hotel tycoon or looking for an investment we're looking for her approval so he can get an investment. I just don't understand why this is happening and maybe maybe you do.
1: I had one or two ideas about this scene because he's just in and out of this movie. But he shows up with like a land development deal for senior living and he wants his mom's endorsement to make everything feel legit, you know? And and I just you just get like he's such a shyster, like he's, you just get like such a crooked vibe from this guy, at least I did, right off the bat, and she doesn't do it for him you know she's like no i won't help you i won't endorse your product basically is what she's saying and you can just i think we're just supposed to get the sense that she's really disappointed in her children or at least in this guy what she really wants is a son that's more like doug nick cage's character okay i think we're supposed to see you know she's got this rotten kid even though they don't he's not that bad you know what i mean like i'm just I think that they want us to believe that this guy's done some bad business deals and maybe caused some shame on the president in the past, you know, as a kid or something. I think they're going in that direction.
0: I guess the other thing that this sets up is that this leads into her reminiscing, like we were talking about earlier, watching those home movies, transitions her or bridges the movie into this time where Tess is reflecting on her past, on her husband, on the life she once lived, and it seems like everything was better in the past. And that she really has nothing left to live for. Her son is not who she wants him to be. Her husband is gone. She's all alone. Her really closest friend in the world doesn't want to be there with her anymore. It's nothing is good in the present. Everything is better in the past.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and and it's it sets her up to be like this very sad lady. You know, like she's all alone there at the end, and she's not exactly trying to isolate herself either. There's wonderful sort of part in the middle where they're dedicating a library to her husband and the president is going to show up she's full of life again and she gets her hair done and she goes shopping and then the president cancels and it sort of drags her back down again she was up for a moment and then you know had the rug pulled out from under her
0: I guess it's the fact that she had the rug pulled out from her by being disappointed in her son by remembering that her husband is gone or you know thinking about her husband she sort of mellows out a little bit And then she goes out with Cage, like, she invites him in, he's sitting outside her house, and she comes out and she's really kind of low-key and mellow, and they go out to a, like, a bar, like, a diner, and they're just getting a cup of coffee, and it's, like, at this point in the movie where you really see, like, the kind of woman that she really is, and the kind of woman that Cage would want to protect, right? Like, she's just, like, a genuinely nice, down earth woman, and not crazy, and not a shut-in. Like, this is the real test. Like, this is the great one that everybody loves or adored in the eyes of the public.
1: Yeah, I really like this moment, too, because, you know, she's dropped her guard completely. Like, not only does she not have any guards guarding her, but she's dropped her guard personally. (laughs) Like, uh, and Cage, too, you know? Like, he's not on duty, so they go out and they share a drink, you know? And they just talk to each other like normal people, right? (laughs) And they finally realize we're fighting over nothing, pretty much, you know? Like, and they're a team now, basically, from this point on. They accept each other.
0: They also talk about Cage's past. Like They talk about how he was married for seven months and it didn't work out. He was the only person who never saw what his wife truly was. Like They don't really go too much into that, but they share this like really intimate moment. It makes you wish... I mean I guess like the whole point of the movie is there's conflict between these two but it makes you wish like their interaction was different because they have a real rapport and they have a real nice genuine conversation here that you wish that like the hour or whatever that had preceded it had sort of played out a little bit differently.
1: Yes, I agree. See, here's where we get into the problem of it's not a comedy. This is sort of more drama-heavy, even if it's a lighthearted drama, sort of. Right. Even if it's like ABC Family-level type, type of drama here. Okay, so when she goes to invite Cage for a beer, he's pouring coffee in his car, and he and she scares him, and he pours coffee all over his pants. That is the joke that we have, <laughs> right? That's going to sustain us for the rest of the movie, almost. Like, if the movie was more about an hour of them, how well they got along, how they're sort of this odd couple, they go shopping together, like, he can read her mind, like he knows her so well, and you set up the comedy and the bond, and then, you know, you introduce, like, a problem or a conflict, you know, something that draws them apart, or... Something something that endangers one of the characters. That might be more of a comedic recipe than what we have.
0: But it's just not set up well. There's no reason for us to root for her. Like, she's not humanized. She's not shown to be like a likable person for so long. We have no choice but to sympathize with Cage. That, I mean, maybe he's exaggerating and maybe it's not the most redeeming character quality that he doesn't want to guard this old woman. But there's like nothing to say good about her that she's like this off-kilter self-centered kind of manipulative old woman who just has nothing good about her.
1: Yeah, you're right. They just sort of have this talk and everything's forgiven. And it's just a matter of screenwriting convenience that the characters are where the writer wants them to be for the next moment. You know, (laughs) I don't know. There is a lack of consistency, I feel, with the Tess character throughout the film. However, it could be attributed to what we find out soon that she... Does have some kind of sickness?
0: Yeah. So, like early in the movie, when when she's telling Cage that they're going to go to the opera, she says one of these three things is true. She says something I don't remember what it is. She says I have a brain tumor. I have an inoperable brain tumor, and we're going to the opera tonight. And it's at that point I, I was talking to Mike about it earlier, and we both agreed that like you know right there that she's sick, that she has a brain tumor. And as the movie goes on, you see her at the hospital. And so I guess it kind of explains why she's acting the way she's acting, but it still doesn't necessarily make us like her, we just can sort of feel bad for her.
1: Agreed, and if they had played up that she was sick a little more, then we would have liked her when she becomes manic or bipolar or however, whatever, whenever her just mood just starts to shift drastically like if they had sort of hammered it home a little bit and made it more of the story you know the first lady she's sick we sort of need to hide that from the media or that's why she doesn't go out so often then maybe we care about her a little more
0: i guess the good thing about the movie finally humanizing her and finally giving us a reason to like her and care about her is that it brings us to one of my favorite, if maybe not my favorite scene in the movie, and it's really one of the, for the very few bits of comedy in the movie. So, the president is coming to town for the dedication of this wing at a local library for her husband, for Tessa's husband. And so, with the president coming, there's like this sense of grandeur, and they almost go into a little bit of like a training montage. Like, it, we talked about it during The Boy in Blue, like it was sort of like Rocky 4 but I like that this is sort of the training montage. For a sixty-year-old former first lady,
1: yeah, I, I, when she was in her room and she opens up her closet, and you just see like her closet filled with clothes yeah. and dress, I was like, "That's kind of like my movie closet filled with DVDs," <laughs> you know. And then she's like, "Yeah, this is where she's like getting her hair done, buying dress, getting her nails done." You're right; it, it's like the it's like the old lady equivalent of Rocky Four. My
0: favorite part of this whole montage is when they're at the grocery store, like she's going shopping. And they're pulling out all the stops of the Secret Service. Like, they, they clear out the aisles for her. Cage is next to the store manager, talking into, like, the little microphone on his hand, trying to figure out what the price of peas are. Like, it's actual comedy. And I don't know if it's necessarily, like, that funny. But it's funny in a way that I wish we had more of in this movie.
1: Absolutely. And it feels like it's part of a different draft or something or a longer cut because when they come to the supermarket, the manager says to Nick Cage, does she want us to know who she is today or not? So I'm thinking they do this a lot. Maybe they did this before and they didn't have time for it. So they cut it out of the movie and this was supposed to be a running gag because if she's such a shut in, why would he ask if they were supposed to know who she is if she came there very very often, it was all sort of confusing. However, I did like the tone of this sequence. And, like,
0: what's weird about this movie, and I, I don't remember what other movie in Cage Club we talked about it for, but it's not super long. Like, it's just over an hour and a half. I don't know why these movies feel the need to, like, cut out scenes that would make us like characters more, that would sort of set them up into a rhythm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't... It's not over long and getting cut down. Like, it's almost already at the bare minimum for, like, what most movies are. Add a couple more scenes in. Like, show us who these characters are set up the moments that come later so that we can enjoy them more so that we can enjoy the characters more and get a sense of this world in this movie and all that stuff
1: yeah i i had a uh, trouble engaging with this film because it just felt like i was drifting through it like what's even kind of happening there's really no central cause or conflict re- you know there's no ticking clock there's no agenda really it's just day after day of guarding the first lady. Imagine my surprise when there's only like 20 minutes left and something extremely important does happen.
0: Cage and Tess and their driver go out to this field and they're just sort of having a nice little lunch sitting out in the field and enjoying nature and it's the winter. Tess falls asleep and Cage carries her back to the car and then he goes back to get the stuff and they drive off again. And it comes sort of weird because you saw how angry Cage got earlier in the movie when the driver drove off. And it, it really doesn't make sense. I'm trying to think, why would Earl drive off again? doesn't make any sense. And then I'm like, wait a minute, she's asleep, and they show her in the back of the car like she's waking up like she's groggy that she didn't tell him to do this it becomes clear that she was kidnapped
1: this was very bizarre they're out in the middle of some lake it looks like an album cover like it's a gorgeous (laughs) shot it's this old lady you know sitting by herself with a little table having tea by a by a lake in the rain just one of those moments where she's like i'm gonna die and like i'm just thinking about like how much time i got left and i just want to spend it with my friend the driver and my favorite Secret Service agent I actually thought She passed away here when Cage came up to her, but no, she's asleep. And yes, when the abduction happens, it's jarring. It's jarring because Tess is asleep when the driver takes off, and usually it's on her command. You know, she's like, "Take off," and also because we've only seen this happen once. You know, it's it's only set up once. It's not fresh in my mind that you know they've got a habit of doing this, um, especially now that Tess and Doug have sort of made up.
0: When they first take off. Cage like walks to town, takes a couple hours to walk to town, calls the house and says, hey, are they back yet? And they said, no, they're not back yet. And Cage is concerned and they send a car to pick Cage up and they get back to the house and she's still not there. And so it's really at this point that they realize, now we really officially realize, this is not like a joke. This is not a comedy. It's a massive tonal shift. She's actually been kidnapped. And so they call in the FBI. They call in James Rebhorn, the guy from Independence Day and a whole bunch of other stuff and they're trying to figure out who would take her, why somebody would take her, you know, what was the motive behind all this? This is
1: crazy what happened to this movie. like, I expected something kind of bad to happen at the end, but I didn't, think it was gonna be like an all-out kidnapping, like, you know, call in Tommy Lee Jones to save the day type of thing. Like they call in all these agents and you just get the sense that Cage is sort of like Jody Foster in contact. They're pushing him to the side of the investigation, like right. he's being pushed away, like, you know, this is sort of his fault, all that kind of stuff. And it, it's hitting him too. Like he feels the guilt, you know, he's really not taking it too well. I'll be damned if, if he doesn't get in there and do some of his own
0: and so they the clues are as such that the driver has two little burn marks on the back of his neck there was like a syringe that was supposedly knocked him out in the back seat of the car and there's a ransom note for 15 million dollars in the glove box and nothing really adds up and they're throwing out a lot of theories and nothing really makes sense nick cage like you were saying sort of does his own little investigation figures out that the burn marks probably match the cigarette lighter in the back of the car And so he and James Rebhorn go to the hospital where the driver's being treated, confront him about it, and they're they're not overly aggressive at first, but they're saying, hey, we have a couple theories, you mind if we ask you a couple questions?
1: I love the way he comes up with the later theory, too, because it's just pure instinct, and it comes across... Pretty natural as well Like I I was sort of saying to myself What is up with these burn marks I was like What burn marks That's just like So weird That's just like Sounds like something Made up Something they did To the dr- Like the driver Might have done to himself And then they're like Oh the The burns are consistent With a known Terrorist organization <laughs> Yeah Nick Cage is sort of like They're like Why don't you go home And like get some rest And he's driving home And his buddy Lights a cigarette In the car And Nick Cage Just does like a U-turn In the middle of the road <laughs> You know And does like like an immediate turnaround bursts back into the house and is like it's cigarette lighter <laughs> that's when they go to the hospital and they get their torture on
0: what i love and like really honestly i think the only nice directorial touch of this movie and maybe that's a little bit of exaggeration but they're showing the guy in bed they're showing the driver in bed and you just see cage's arm and he's just twirling in his hand the cigarette lighter and like it's like beautiful framing And you see the driver have this moment of panic and moment of realization that the jig is up. The only defense he really has left is he's like, no, man, I loved her. This guy hated her. He didn't want to work here. They always were fighting. You should be looking at him, not at me. James Redborn's like, is this true? And then Cage says, yeah, it's true. But then he takes things up to the next level. He pulls up all the stops to get some answers.
2: Where is she? I don't know. Doc, we're the good guys, Okay. We don't do stuff like this. Look at that. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? I'm the only witness you've got. He wants to kill me. Good God, doesn't that tell you anything? Come on, Doug. I'm telling you to holster your pistol. Jesus, help me. God damn it, Doug. Put that gun away. (laughs) You're already in so much trouble. He's going to tell me. Tell you what, I don't know anything. Even if he does, we can't use it, not like this. Girl, I'm going to count to five and... Then I'm going to shoot one of your toes off. Oh, God. Doug. And then I'm going to count to five and shoot another toe. Doug. Listen, I don't know anything. Will you just get that through your... Ah, ah, are you crazy? Ah, are you? He didn't count. Five. He didn't even count. Four. I'm going to prison, Doug. Listen to me. Uh, Will you just listen to me? Uh, if he is involved. This is the message station. Should we call the police? Yes, ma'am. In the uh, FBI? He, he is involved. Then she knows it. Uh, and if she knows that her life is worthless, uh, you understand me? They have to fucking kill her. We don't have time to meet his lawyer, right, Earl? Oh, God help me. Fine! Dog. Four, no, no, okay, three, okay, two, okay, 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 look, they've got her in an abandoned farmhouse, okay? An I abandoned farmhouse? Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. No, Five. no, I swear to God, I swear to God, Doug, really, listen, it's my sister and her husband, check it out, Doug, it wasn't my idea, I swear to God.
1: I love this hospital sequence. It definitely doesn't fit this movie, but it it fits like Serpico or something of something like that, you know, like a gritty crime film from the '70s. Because you're like like you said with the framing and the staging and the way the guy tries to confess his alibi, and, you know, he thinks he's got it all set up, all the way up until the gratuitous violence. Like Nick Cage shoots a guy's toe off in a hospital in front of his commanding officer. It
0: gets real real fast. Turns out that, like, they went to some abandoned warehouse out in the middle of nowhere and literally buried her alive.
1: No, so here's what I thought, that the driver's relatives are just these like crazy backwoods hill folk people who live up there in the woods and this was sort of their farm or their ranch right and it's just like there's a recession so the ranch is it looks like the set from texas chainsaw massacre not even joking
0: (laughs) there's no lights anywhere it's just like empty farmhouse empty something just dirt everywhere everything's in disrepair
1: yeah and their living quarters they're like silence of the lambs type looking people you know they're like mr and mrs buffalo bill you're right like the whole SWAT team converges on a pipe sticking out of the ground i'm like losing my mind why and is this movie going here and i can't believe just how quickly it got there
0: it goes from zero to 60 very very fast and what was like ostensibly a comedy is now this really dark sort of revenge movie of cage trying to get back this woman that it's it's also kind of like a love story like he's trying to get back the woman like it's all sorts of weird at the end and like nothing really kind of fits and like they they start digging for her and then cage like i need to dig like i need to be the one who does this and he starts digging and eventually like he rescues her and they get her out to get her back to a hospital helicopter shows up you know you know cage loves those helicopters right a little bit of firebirds action right there
1: Uh, it's just like crazy because this movie's like five types of genres slam together and you can just see the dividing line every every time so i just wish it was nicholas cage call him in because the first lady's been kidnapped and he's the only one that can save her because he's the one that protected her husband you know five years ago you know what i'm saying like that is the movie
0: the last 20 minutes of this movie are pretty good but they're just they don't like you said they don't fit this movie it doesn't make sense It wraps up, like, in a nice, neat little bow. Like, she survives, and she wants to make sure that he's on the plane... And so he, they they call his name in this little, like, telephone game. They, they get him on the plane, and the pilot kicks off a bunch of the FBI guys and let all the Secret Service on. They have, like, a nice little moment that she's like, oh, you finally got to shoot a man? They're like, oh, it was in his toe. And she's like, nah, that's disappointing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then there's, like, one more little wrap-up scene when she's getting out of the hospital, and, like, the president calls, and she's like, no, like... He's like a son to me. He's gonna stay. You know, I, I love my, uh, I love my Dougie.
2: Tess, are they treating you all right in that hospital? Because if they're not... Harold, I want this Secret Service agent of mine taken care of. Tess, the man discharged a firearm in a public place. I don't care
1: about any of that. This young man saved my life. He's like a son to me, Harold. I want him taken care of, you understand?
2: Well, well sure, Tess. I'm sure we... Oh, and if anything should ever happen to me, I want your personal word that
1: you... We'll look after
2: him. Well, sure, Tess. You know, I... Good. I- Thanks, Harold. That's
1: all I wanted to know. You have yourself a nice day. Yes, yes ma'am. I love it, too, because it just... that That is the director again coming in at the end, right? And he's wrapping up his little thread there, right? He's been a little running gag throughout the whole movie. And he even knows, you know, to tie himself up like a little bow at the end right there yeah. before it ends.
0: I really like that the... It's very clear that the chain of power is Nicolas Cage at the bottom... And then the president above him, and then Tess above him. Like, Tess is the most powerful person in the world in this, even more powerful than the president and that she can sort of dictate what he does.
1: I even love the final shot where she's leaving the hospital, she's sort of being wheeled away, and everyone's smiling and laughing and, you know, waving goodbye, but you see Nick Cage up in the side of the screen, just ever vigilant, looking as serious as can be, just, you know, watching, always watching.
0: It's quite an ending to a, to a very strange movie. As weird as this movie is, Shirley MacLaine received a Golden Globe nomination for what? Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Like, she's good in this movie, but also
1: what like (laughs) (laughs) she's like okay i don't know it kind of felt like the movie didn't have any pep to it it felt like a car running out of gas the whole time like no one really no one's performance really elevated any of the material Uh, she was okay
0: um but that's guarding test that is uh this weird weirdo kind of movie not necessarily the comedy we thought we were getting between deadfall and leaving las vegas in this little stretch of three comedies but I guess a comedy nonetheless?
1: I just felt like maybe if they scored it a bit differently and sort of had a little more musical accent when the laughs are supposed to be, or if they even just went out and like added a laugh track to this movie <laughs> so we could know what was supposed to be funny. I'm sort of giving it a hard time, but yeah, by no means is it a flat-out comedy. There's, there's something else happening here.
0: I can't really recommend this movie. I don't think it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's fine sort of for whatever it is and whatever it is is this muddled mess of genres but it's not one that you should really I don't think go seek out I mean Cage is fine in it and he has a couple little freak out moments but like we were saying earlier like the whole movie is him trapped in this job he doesn't want to do and so he's bored we're kind of bored because he's bored
1: I might recommend watching the first five minutes and then the last 25 minutes so you can just see the way they set up the film and the way they end the film (laughs) and just what a completely parallel tone they ended on.
0: That's fine. I mean, the middle hour, though, is really not not necessarily <laughs> worth watching. So go to cageclub.me for all things Cage Club. You can read the reviews that we write for every movie. You can listen to all the podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. All, the, all that good stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club.